welcome to the 20th episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. We have had quite a few requests to talk about our development environments. So in this episode, we'll be talking about what we use and the tools that we find useful in our daily work lives. I'd also like to make an announcement that we've just launched a new run of the Front End Happy Hour t-shirts. They are available now to purchase. Just head over at frontendhappyhour.com shirts. The shirts turned out really well. They're extremely comfortable. So make sure to get them before they run out. Before we get started, let's go around the table and give brief introduction of today's panelists. Brian, you want to start? Hi, I'm Brian Holt, and I'm a professional tool at Netflix. <laughs> uh, I'm Jem Young, senior software engineer at Netflix, and I can confirm that Brian is a huge tool. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mars Julian, also a senior software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Productive. Productive. So if, if any of us say the word productive, we will all take a drink. All right, let's get started. What's your favorite OS to develop on? So far for me, it's been Mac OS slash OS X, depending on when you ask me. I've been using it, I mean, pretty much since my second development job. So it's been about five years since I've been using it. But recently, I found it to be much less stable than it used to be. It used to be just, it just worked. And that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted to open my, like, my MacBook and just start coding and not have to worry about tooling around with the settings, getting my monitor to work, getting my network driver to work, getting the video card to work, right? And, and those were problems that I had in college when I was working on Ubuntu that I just, it didn't necessarily work out of the box. I had to tool around a little bit. But recently, like past two years, I've been having much more like restarts and it's been a much less pleasant experience for me. Anyone so you else? can say you're less productive? Less productive. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, I've been using macOS um, even in college when I was learning to program. And, you know, there was always the allure of being a hacker as you're starting out in computer science and working with Linux or Ubuntu. But I actually would be much less productive. Cheers. Cheers. Because I would be spending so much time setting it up in the first place. And now I find that today when you're looking for tools that already work and they work out of the box and they're well supported and they've got good documentation, oftentimes it leans more heavily towards macOS in terms of where those tools are developed. Not to mention, and I agree with Brian, yeah, it's been really buggy over the past couple of years, but I have to say that the number of devices that I can work on now is a lot, there are a lot more of them. So that's been kind of nice in terms of the ecosystem that Mac has developed to be able to work on an iPad, on a phone, on, you know, anything when I'm on the go. iMessage is the best across. Like, Absolutely. It always yeah. holds me in that uh, iOS and Mac ecosystem just because of that. Not to mention now a continuity, so you can copy on your computer and then paste it on your phone. Yeah, and that's it's just, cool. it's that, really, that nice. is really yeah. cool. I started on uh, the .NET world, uh, so C Sharp and all that, so Windows for sure. And I was like, Windows, Windows, Windows. And then I switched to OS X, and it's fantastic. Not that I like OS X per se, but I like what it is. It's just a nice, pretty UI on top of a good Unix layer, which is all I really want out of my OS. And... I'd use Ubuntu and I have before, but there's just not as many tools out there for it. So OSX is where it's at right now, but I'm not married to it. I would switch if someone, if Ubuntu just like changed the game and made something just amazing, I would switch to Ubuntu. What if Microsoft changed the game? I'd switch back to Windows. Yeah. I, I currently don't like my Windows 10 machine at home because they're just trying to shove Cortana and like Microsoft Edge and all their <laughs> tools at you. But 
yeah, I have no problem essentially with Windows 10. There's, I think it's a fine OS. Probably not for development though. I mean, I guess the last time I was on a Windows machine was XP. And that was the last time I had to develop on it. I hated it. I went from OS X to Windows for a, for a project that I was on at an agency and I had to use it. So it was like forced to use and it was XP. It was painful. Yeah, I didn't like it at all. So I, I definitely prefer working on OS X. What's confusing is that some commands work across Windows and uh, Unix systems. So like CD or LS or RM both work. So you're like, oh, let me just try Vim command. Yeah, and some things work, some things don't. And it's very confusing exactly where the line is. So you're like, oh, bash, I know this, but it's not bash. It's um, command yeah. shell. Well, I mean, they now actually run a Ubuntu kernel inside of Windows, right? So you have to give them some credit for trying to meet us developers in the middle. Yeah. I mean, you can run like the Unix distribution of Node inside of Windows with no problem, which is pretty amazing. That is like very beneficial. Yeah, speaking of Windows and Node, so Node has, you know, the crazy long install paths where like dependencies have dependencies have dependencies. Thankfully, they're fixing that now where it's like they're all linked, so it's not so crazy. But Windows had a bug for probably 15, 20 years or so where if a path was too long, you couldn't actually delete it. So I could install things with Node but I couldn't remove that file because it would be like path too long error. And I like put on Twitter. Someone's like, actually you need to install a custom shell to delete that file. It was just, it was bizarre. And I'm like, yeah, like what year is it? And I can't delete files from, from my old computer because the path's too long. Just, I, I have a lot of bad Windows stories, but again, I'm still pretty neutral on it. You're pretty neutral that you've had all those problems and you're like, all right, I would still switch maybe. <laughs> It has Steam and games, so that's, that's <laughs> for, for, for gaming, you're right. I, like I, I do want to give Microsoft some credit and also knock Apple a little bit. Like you look at what's happened over the past couple of years. You look at Microsoft having like integrating Bash, like shuttering Internet Explorer, coming out with Edge, which is like a modern good browser. Like they're really trying to go after the developer crowd and trying to please us. Whereas with Mac. Look at the new MacBooks, right? They got rid of the escape key. They didn't give us more RAM. They didn't like all these things. Like they're they're going away from developers and Microsoft is trying to come to develop. Courage, Brian, courage. Uh, Hashtag yes. courage. My damn iPhone doesn't have a headphone jack. It drives me nuts. I, I think also too is the fact Microsoft does a lot of open source. What about Apple? There's no open source. I mean, there's they have a lot of people working on WebKit. Sure, yeah. Safari's great. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> what about IDEs? What's everyone using for coding? I'm using Sublime Text, I think, three at this point. I remember when I first started coding, I was using Emacs, um, and I was working on that for my senior thesis, and that, that was miserable. What, what didn't you like? Well, I couldn't, like, navigate in Emacs with a mouse, which was just, like, the most frustrating thing ever. And I was learning all the key bindings and everything. And I just remember at one point I had, this is, you know, right before my senior thesis is due, deleted all my files, and I couldn't figure out how to get them back over there. So I had to retype them out in Emacs, couldn't copy-paste, all, all sorts of different weird problems. But I've been really happy with Sublime Text 3. It's really lightweight, uh, lots of plugins. One of my favorite plugins actually is GitHubinator, which allows you to right click and then it'll open that file in GitHub or it'll blame that line directly in GitHub for you, which is cool. just so fast. And when you're trying to debug something or sort of figure out what happened, you know, you can go right to the commit message that hopefully someone else wrote eloquently enough for you to read it. So it's I didn't good. know that was a plugin. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hubinators. That's really cool. I've always used Sublime and actually just recently switched to Vim. 
And so far, I feel like... Why, why don't you tell us about it? Well, uh, <laughs> it, Ryan Ankleman actually helped me get set up with like a lot of plugins or like using his VimRC file. That was really helpful. I feel like getting the setup is actually really hard with Vim because it is so bare bones, nothing. And you do need a lot of the setup for you. So he helped me with that. It's been a f- couple months now that I've been using it. And I feel like I'm productive. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> But I'm about the same as I was on Sublime, uh, which is good. So I'm, I've am i deleted Sublime, I'm not using it, and I'm fully on Vim. I would like to get faster with it though, and I'm trying to get better shortcut keys going, but all in all, I, I'm enjoying it. it. I haven't quit yet, so that's good. <laughs> you haven't quit as in you haven't figured out how to quit? <laughs> that's, that's true. It's not just that simple. Yeah, that was pretty good. But I did order one of those new MacBooks and there is no escape key. So that could be very painful. How are you going to use Vim? Uh, I have it mapped to uh, caps lock anyways. Like I don't really use escape now. So I thought you had control mapped to caps lock. Yeah, I do have control. That's true. So you still need escape. But it's still it's there. It's yeah. still there. It's just like a touch screen instead of a button. Yeah, it looks. So people are freaking gimmicky. out over very little in my opinion. To me, it's gimmicky, but it whatever. Is. But you can put Nyan Cat on there. That's adorable. Cause, yeah, because I definitely wanted that. Uh, I, I, mean, I, I did. <laughs> I'm pretty much the same as Mars. I use Sublime with a whole suite of plugins. And Sublime is pretty good for an editor, but it's really the plugins that actually make it uh, similar to Atom, like a great uh, developer environment as well. But it's all the plugins. You need the plugin. But then I use Visual Studio Code for debugging Node because... With Visual Studio Code, I can set breakpoints and then inspect what's going on, and I do a fair amount of Node. And is there anything else special? Uh, I started on Notepad++, you know, shout out to the old days. So any sort of IDE or plugins are amazing because I'm used to just hand coding everything. Oh, I definitely started on Notepad. Like, that was, like, definitely where you start, which is cool because you yeah. kind of have to learn to code yourself without everything that helps you do that. I remember back in the day, like people would use Dreamweaver. I mean, I hated that. That was the worst. No, that, that was definitely one that I just, I tried at one point, but it was so painful. Yeah. I'm on, I started out on TextMate. Uh, TextMate was great. I love TextMate. I could still use it. Yeah. Well, it got, it became really slow. That I ended up switching from TextMate to Sublime because I found TextMate was getting slow and I noticed how quick Sublime was. That was the only reason I switched. I switched because of peer pressure. Peer pressure? That's actually true. <laughs> that, that happens, right? Uh, I'm also on Sublime. I actually did try to switch, switch wholeheartedly to code, Visual Studio Code, but kind of the same issues that if you opened a big file with code, at least as of like 1.4 or something like that, it was still pretty slow on big files. It was crashing intermittently, and I just wasn't getting enough gains out of it to justify staying on it. So I actually have switched back to Sublime. My gripe with Sublime is that it just doesn't update. And normally I, I don't care as much that I wouldn't call someone out, but this is a tool that I paid for. So the fact that it's like updated, what, once or twice in Every years? couple years, yeah. Yeah, and like shout out to the guy for making it, but I think it's one guy, maybe a few other people, but Come on, man. Like, we need an update. Uh, Adam is just like coming through and just blowing everything away. Well, and when Adam started, I remember trying it. It was really, really slow, 
but now it's actually quite fast. It's complete opposite. I mean, it's what? It's three years old, Adam? Is that about right? That old already? That's definitely a couple. Wow, time goes by fast. I think it has. I think it's at least three. three. Yeah, three is fine. Accurate. So, a note on on Sublime. I imagine you're on the stable channel, or have you switched away from the stable channel to the dev channel? I switched to the dev. But I think it crashed once or twice, and then I got off the dev back to the stable again. Okay, so I've been on dev for at least a year, if not longer. I've had zero problems with crashing or anything like that. And they actually update it maybe once a month. Hmm. Um, and then if you can get on the nightly channel, which does crash. Don't don't get on <laughs> nightly. Um, but they hired the guy that did the the plugin, Sublime Plugin Manager, right? So he's the guy that actually wrote the the open source plugin manager. Now uh, actually works package control. control. Package yeah. control. That's the one. Now actually works for Sublime itself. So they actually are like now hiring more, making it a real business, getting more people onto it. So it's 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 okay to stick to Sublime, I think. What about uh, tools that you couldn't live without? You know, when you're setting up a fresh machine, like what are those first things that you start installing? I think one of the first things I do in my development environment is make sure that my terminal shows me what branch I'm on. Oh, that's <laughs> a nice one. That really is. Yeah, yeah no, it, is, nice. it is. I didn't have it for a couple of years and I noticed it on a coworker's laptop when they were using it. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's game changing, at <laughs> least in, in my life. <laughs> that's excitement for me. And, and it's just really useful, especially when you're like cautious of where you're pushing things to, especially if you're pushing to some sort of a release branch. So that's been, that's saved me a couple times at least. Yeah, it's that last minute check where you're like, wait, I'm on the wrong branch. But everything's already committed. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I use iTerm. That's pretty indispensable to me. I yeah. prefer it more than, um, I don't even know what the regular Terminal.app. Terminal. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> iTerm's pretty great. I have a whole suite of plugins for it, but I don't remember what it is. Cause pro tip, time machine, your laptop. So if you ever switch companies or switch laptops, you just restore and you're right back to where you start. So I actually have no idea what's installed currently because I always time machine. I was thinking about the same thing as trying to think of all those things like what are those first things I need and set up. But yeah, the last few times I've just mirrored my laptop from using time machine and it, I'm up and running good to go. I actually think the last time our IT department did it for me, which is even better. Yeah, no, I think that's that would be the first thing I set up, which is backups, right? Making sure that it backs up correctly. As far as tools that I, I need, like I get my IDE first, get my terminal app. I like Kaleidoscope for Git diffs. Oh, that's a beautiful one. I like that one a it's lot. It's expensive. It's 70 bucks for a Git diff Ooh. program, but it's a really, really nice way to visualize diffs. Like it, it is really expensive, but I've used it for so long that I'm just cool with, and it, it makes Git merges so much more simple to get through. And like, that's such a hellish part of my life that I'm okay paying some money for that. I think one of my first ones, even before an IDE, maybe iTerm might be one of the first ones I install, but one password. Oh, I literally yeah. need that yeah. to set up so many things, which also requires because I have it syncing on Dropbox, so Dropbox. you need to get Dropbox first to, in order to get that set up. But yeah, anything I'm installing, I need a password for. I think one of the other ones I also install first is I love Trello. I could be like a brand ambassador for Trello because let me tell you, Trello has the list of things I need to install first after I've installed Trello. I like how versatile it is, how flexible it is in order to, you know, whatever way you like to organize things or categorize them or list cards, all that stuff just 
Very useful, very lightweight. Trello is pretty great. I use Trello for everything. I use Trello to move, that was fun. I don't use Trello that much. <laughs> <laughs> I install Chrome and Firefox and LastPass. Yes, I don't know any of my passwords, so thank God for LastPass. Yeah, I install the browsers. I, to be totally honest, it's probably the browsers I install first, because I, I sure as shit ain't using Safari. No. <laughs> yeah, you open Safari to download Chrome, yeah. and then the rest, you're good. I don't know, you can even just homebrew that if you really want to. <laughs> that is true, that is a very good point. So you don't even have to open Safari. Uh, a package manager, while we're speaking about it, would, is actually super useful. Like Homebrew if you're on Mac or whatever, whatever else you use. Node is probably one of my first ones I install as well. Uh, that's pretty quick. I use Node version manager, NVM. I'm pretty sure you showed me that one and I was blown away. I was like, yes, this is so good. There's a thousand of them. There's also N, um, but NVM is just really easy to manage your Node versions. and. Like I have one that's specifically for work, like the, the version that we use in production. And then I use like, now I'm using Node 7 for all of my personal stuff. So it's really easy to switch back and forth between those two. Something I haven't used a lot before, but I've started using more now that I work at Netflix is there's so many devices out there and all sorts of combinations of setups with, you know, OSs and different browser versions. So I've started using browser stack a lot. I find that it's it's really useful for, you know, you get a bug, it's happening on this version of Chrome, on this particular device, and you're like, it's gonna take me way more time to find that device with that version of Chrome. I'm gonna be more productive. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. If I just open browser stack and it's I'll admit it's a little slow. Yeah, explain what BrowserStack is. Yeah, BrowserStack is a, a service that you can log into online that I guess they provide access to real devices and you can choose your configuration. So a lot of times you can go in and be like, I wanna be on Windows 8 using IE 10 because you know it's got bugs and I need to fix it. So it'll spin up a device running that configuration and, and you can actually run the network request so through your local network. So you can also debug things locally, which has been really, really useful. It's gotten a lot better over the years. I would say like three or four years ago, I started using it and I always found it very painful to try and get working locally. To have to SSH in, it was, it was a pain in the ass and it never quite worked for me. Now I just use it in the past year and yeah, it's just like a checkbox, use my local connection. Actually been a really useful tool for our team in general. Uh, another one for me is probably one of my early installs. I'll even actually install it on my wife's computer when I'm fixing something for her. It's a keylogger. <laughs> uh, that's not it, but uh, <laughs> it's Alfred. I love that just oh, for yeah, yeah. opening anything up. It's so easy. You're just putting like a quick key to pop open that and you can search your applications. Very useful. Well, then I, I have statistics for how often I use Alfred. It actually, if you look at Alfred's preferences, it'll show you how often you use it. Since April 6, 2015, I've used Alfred 2,972 times, or an average of 5.1 times a day. Wow. Oh that's my God, actually, that's yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah. 8.3 times a day since wow. January 11, 2016. Okay, so here, here's a good question for all of you. What development tools are so good that you've actually paid for? Alfred is obviously one of them, right? Alfred, Sublime. Trello. <laughs> Do you pay for Trello? Trello Gold. Oh, yeah. You need to have custom backgrounds. because like Custom stickers. Oh, yeah, the stickers are cool. And so are the backgrounds. <laughs> Kaleidoscope I have paid for. Oh, here's one I really like. It's called Bartender. I don't know if anyone uses that. Or your, the toolbar, because um, there's a lot, lots of apps that will turn on, you know, those little like toolbar extensions by default. So you get like all of those icons and then they run into the help bar on the other side and you can't see what's going on. But you can collapse things sort of into the bartender and really only have the tools that you need in front of you. It's kind of pissing me off lately though because it doesn't work on the latest version of Mac OS. 
It's a little glitchy at the moment, yeah. yeah. Some of the, the Mac system extensions don't allow you to collapse them into the bartender, but I think they're working on it because I've they come and go on my computer at least. Oh, another one, sorry, there's a tangent. Now that I'm looking at my toolbar and I see it, one called Trailer, which goes into your toolbar and it gives you a list of all of the pull requests that you've either opened or participated in or mentioned in, and it'll like go red if you've got unread notifications. So if you're like looking for somewhere to find your pull request, it's really easy to just open it. That sounds awesome, I'm gonna install that. That sounds pretty cool. I don't need more notifications. <laughs> Let's see, I got a few here. Charles Proxy, that's one I actually probably use almost oh, daily. Oh, good one, yeah. That is one that we've definitely paid for for our entire team. It's great for just debugging web traffic. You can see traffic going in, traffic going out. You can reroute traffic. That would be So I can go to like netflix.com and route that to my local box to debug different things like that. So Charles Proxy is definitely worth paying for. I use it a lot even just debugging in-app. I oh yeah, definitely. Is actually being able to see what's happening in an application. Yeah, just like Proxy or you know iPhone to your computer and you can run it straight through Charles. You can even point your dev environment at it. I love that. Yeah, and you can like fake SSL as well, which is really nice. Oh, I have another one that goes up on my toolbar as well uh, called Screeny, and it's really easy to grab screenshots. Like you just hit Shift Command 4, yep, and then you can just grab it, and then you can just drag and drop that to wherever you want to place it. I have something really similar. It's called Sketch and you can take a screenshot and then you can mark it up right there and then it will save it with the markup in terms of like arrows and squares, letters. I'm very familiar with Sketch working at Evernote. Yeah. That's who created it. <laughs> oh, I, had, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Evernote actually created <laughs> No wonder created they work that. so well together. I don't even know if Sketch exists anymore. Like I know it still does, but they've integrated it into Evernote. That's like pretty much the only thing Sketch backs up to is Evernote at yeah, this point. Yeah. So. Should companies force teams to use the same environments? We've just talked about all different dev environments that we have, different tools. Should you be able to leverage what you want or what the team is using? I think the the least amount that you can get in the way of a developer working in the way they want to is 99 times out of 100 a good thing. Furthermore, if your entire team is always developing in Chrome, you're going to miss lots of Firefox bugs. So should everyone use Safari, Firefox, Chrome? I mean, if everyone used IE6, that the internet would probably just work. <laughs> <laughs> so on one hand, I'm totally with you. We should let the developer do what they want, like always, whatever is the least amount of friction. The other hand, there is a benefit to doing everybody using the same IDE where your company can build specific plugins just for your workflow, which I've seen and has been extremely effective at some companies where it's like everybody's using Eclipse, but we have like custom build and it like works and does all the stuff for you, does all this magic, which is pretty powerful too. So I'm on the fence. But then you have to use Eclipse. <laughs> have you ever written Java? I have. And yes, I used Eclipse at that time. Yes. <laughs> but I don't like writing Java. Fair. For me, I think whatever your team or engineers are most productive, that is important. <laughs> Cheers. 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 What about plugins? What plugins do you use to develop in your environments? For Sublime, I have my list here. Babel, the Babel, Babel plugin, Bracket Highlighter. Uh, I'm only going over the important ones. Uh, Doc Blocker, Doc Blocker is my favorite. What's Doc Blocker? So Doc Blocker, if you're on top of a function in JavaScript and you type slash star enter, it'll automatically fill in the doc for you. I mean, you still have to fill in like types and things like that. Sometimes it does type inference for you. But essentially, it just makes it really, really easy to write comments on your JavaScripts, and everybody should do it. And I can always tell who has Doc Blocker installed by just the amount of comments and how well they're written versus someone who doesn't have it. I obviously don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. Emmet. I like Emmet a lot for 
uh, Sublime. It's actually built into code, and I think it's built into Atom as well. And Emmet, is that's the one where it formats nicely? Basically, it's like HTML that just kind of auto-expands for you. So I, talk, I type like section dot my class name tab, and it expands out to a section tag with the class name. But it's, it's actually pretty powerful. It's got a pretty uh, robust way of uh, expanding. So there's a lot of stuff you can do with Emmet, but it's just really fast to write HTML with. Git gutter is oh, yes. indispensable oh, yes. for me. Yeah. That's a good one. That's probably, I would say, the most important one I have. It's just I can see which lines have changed since I last committed, and that's hugely, hugely helpful. I'll say the most important one I have, and I think everybody's going to agree on this one, is Sublime Linter or some sort of linter for your IDE. Without a linter installed for ESLint, it's just like coding with one eye. It, it's so much easier. Well, it catches the errors before you run your build. I mean, you should have a linter in your build. That's really important. But it will catch it so that you're not having to run the build and then have the error. It's like you see it right in your screen that you're coding in. I, I don't use it. You don't use a linter? No, I don't use the, uh, specifically the one that does it inside of your IDE. I, uh, I just run it from the command line. I'm, I'm kind of with Brian on that only because some of the files I work in are touched by so many people that the linting errors aren't even caused by me. And so it's it can be a little bit of a headache sometimes, but our code base is fix them. <laughs> yes, yes, well, our code base is getting better and better because we keep having to fix other other people's linting errors, but everyone's got a slightly different style. So. so I guess that would be one where if you use the same environment or same ID, you could have that all together so that it would prevent those types of things from happening. I guess that would be one plus to all being on the same environment. So so in defense of why I don't use Pilot, I had it in, I actually even have it installed, I just have it disabled. And the reason is when I actually have like an idea rolling in my head, if I ha have like errors pop up, it kind of derails my train of thought. And so I'd rather catch those lint errors later after I've finished my thought. So I'll tell you the trick to that is to only lint on save, which is what I do. So the linter only runs after I save the file, which means like I'm done, I'm in a ready state to check it and it runs through. But yeah, linting on the fly, I think is silly. One I, I really enjoy, and I'll get into the Vim stuff, is Vim Nerd Tree, which just has a nice way of getting to a list of all your files. I really enjoy that one. I find myself going back and forth, just being able to see my project and be able to quickly jump around files. Have you tried Vimbox by chance? Or do you know what Vimbox is? I don't think I do actually. I think it's just a configuration file, right? Like there's just those configuration files that get popular, but it's from one of the React core developers. And I've heard it's just makes Vim 10 billion times easier to use. I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. Okay, so, I mean, there's only a few of us here, so let's get into something really controversial. Tabs or spaces? Spaces. 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 Two spaces. Two four, spaces. Four spaces. No. Ah, two. Uh, two, two. I'm definitely two. Depends. Really? It, it depends yeah, on the yeah. language. Oh, to be honest. Ah, I will agree. Yeah. With, I will yeah. agree with Brian on that. It depends on the language. JavaScript. Two, two. spaces. Front end dev is two, pretty much top to bottom. I agree. What about SAS, less CSS? For some reason, I'm four. I, I don't know why. I I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I know Mars has an opinion. About lesson SAS? Yes. Oh, I like my lesson SAS. <laughs> Organized, four spaces. Thank you very much. Yes, Mars is on the same panel for that. That's good. Well, I do four spaces across the board. That way my eyes don't have to readjust to the different levels of indentation. Fair enough. I, I could see that. JavaScript, I've found, like, sometimes it just trails on so much longer so I can kind of keep it tighter. I, I would 
devil's advocate over here, I use that to keep myself in check how long my, my nesting goes. It becomes a helper function when it becomes longer than like 80 lines and 80, 80 characters in a line just because it's yeah. nested so far in. So. so we've talked about our IDs. What about themes? Like we've talked about plugins, everything like that. What about themes, dark or light? I use a dark theme. Uh, I used a light theme when I first started developing. And then uh, one of my mentors at the time, a senior engineer, he was like, actually, the dark theme's a little easier on your eyes over a long period of time. So I switched for a week, and I found that was true. And dark theme always works for me. So I use dark theme in most of my setup. Even in Chrome, you can switch the themes. Whoa, I actually didn't know you could do that. Oh, you can? can? And in Firefox, so. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. I started out same as you, Gem. I started light theme. TextMate, when I'd use that for years and years, that was always a light theme. And actually, the reason I switched was because I felt kind of the peer pressure that Brian mentioned earlier is it was like all the cool kids were using dark theme and they were all young and hip. And I'm like, all right, I'll try this. And I tried it and I hated it for a little bit. So I had to switch back to light. And then I don't know what made me switch. And now I'm permanently on like a dark theme. And I, I don't think I could go back to a light theme now. Yeah, when I when I speak, it always has to be a light theme, uh, because projectors have a hard time showing those some of those dark themes, especially like I use Monokai Phoenix, which is from the Babel package for my scheme, my color scheme, and the like HTML tags are like a reddish color, which just do totally wash out on a projector, so I have to switch to like a, a light theme. But I used uh, the Dale Reese uh, Tony Stark theme forever because it looked like Iron Man and it made me feel cool. <laughs> So you're coding like Iron Man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I like the dark theme too. And, and for a while, I tried to do sort of like a Matrix theme where everything is black, <laughs> <laughs> black and green. Um, that became really hard on the eyes. And and starting to do more JavaScript, you've got HTML and and code all in one place. <laughs> couldn't tell everything apart from from each other. So I, I would say dark, but it's got to have some variation. <laughs> well, so, okay, it looks like going, so cool, but it's so stupid. Going back to Ryan's point, you know, it's what the cool kids and all the movies were doing. It just does not work out day to day. Um, and also, no one types that fast. Coding in movies is totally misrepresented. Oh, but that's a topic for another that, day. I mean, you know, it's funny. I didn't think color schemes and fonts really matter until you change it. And then I'm like, oh, what is this? I can't code in this. And like, even switching my font just throws me off completely. I need my font and my color scheme. Do you remember which font you use? I think it's the one built into the Babel plugin since it works with uh, ES6 syntax highlighting. I forget which font it is, but I enjoy it. And if I switch it to something else- There's a font or is it a color scheme that's built into- There's a font. I didn't know there was a font built in. That's interesting. Or maybe I'm using a font from a different thing, but I definitely Uh, picked out this font specifically for coding. Okay. I use the Office Code Pro, which is... uh, I've heard that one a few times. Which is derived from Source Code Pro from Adobe, which is an open source, monospaced font. It's really easy to read. I like it a lot. I can't switch away from it now. What about primary browser? What is your first choice? And it better not be Safari. (laughs) Internet Explorer 8. (laughs) Keep it old school. I use Firefox nightly, partially because I'm worried that Google's taking over the world and... The less telemetry that I send to them, the better. Partially because the like the new Firefox thing with electrolysis and some of these other projects coming through is a really fast browser. It's got nice dev tools. Like the Firefox dev tool team is doing an awesome job. Like I'm a I'm a big fan. It's changed significantly. I use Chrome as my primary browser, and I love the Chrome dev tools. Firefox is lacking behind, but they have 
drastically improved over the past like year even definitely well and you need to switch from because the current firefox is still on the single threaded old version using the old version of the dev tools you need to use nightly which is a stable browser it never crashes on me uh, you do have to update every day but it's called nightly for a reason i like it. i love it i use chrome and i have firefox developer edition installed as well which is proved very useful Chrome, I just like big respect to those guys. The more I learn about Chrome, the more I discover, you know, you can do like about preferences and see what your service worker is doing at a low level. You can see like all the sockets that are connected. You can see, I was testing a pre-rendering the other day and it shows you if, if a page is pre-rendering or not pre-rendering and why. It's just, there's so much detail buried into Chrome as a developer environment that it's just phenomenal. It's, it's pretty hard for me to switch. I've tried Edge briefly. It's okay. It's not, they're pretty lacking. And you can tell that all the years that have went to making Chrome like good for developers that just aren't there yet in other browsers, but. They're getting there. They're getting there, definitely. But I never use Safari, <laughs> like ever, if I can help it. That's like your least favorite. I've, I've heard Jem say in his talks quite a few times lately of like Safari is the new IE and I will agree with him wholeheartedly i mean like the the latest safari nightly i forgot what they call it obviously i don't use it but supposedly they're 100 percent es6 compliant which they would be the first to be i mean that's pretty cool that when, true, when will that ship fully i mean be, <laughs> before the other browsers right well hopefully <laughs> we'll see they they were the first to get to 100 so that includes modules and tail call recursion oh shit which is yeah big props to them but they still don't support service workers. And that's like my biggest gripe. And I, I know why they don't do it. And that's a whole, Ryan and I have talked about this privately, but it really irks me why they make certain decisions. Because service workers are fucking cool. <laughs> They're so, it's, yeah, it's the future of the web. That's all I'm gonna say. I won't go into it today, but. I use Chrome too, but I'm not quite as knowledgeable as everyone else here about what's going on with the Teams and, and all of the other tools. But one of the things I find hard is to actually switch. I just get so used to where my dev tools are. And you know, when I'm working, it's it just seems like such a high barrier to entry to switch over to a new browser trying to find everything. If you'll switch to Firefox, I will show you. I will <laughs> okay, show we'll, you the light. We'll have like an hour long meeting. Wait, wait, okay. Maybe even longer. <laughs> but she might be unproductive. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, that I wish I knew a little bit more about all of the browsers in terms of their developer environments. And yeah, I know how they work in terms of developing for them and the different, you know, like CSS types of things that they support and everything. But it just, it would take so much time for me to switch. There's something, at least for me, there's something to be said for just knowing where things are to oh, get yeah. stuff done. But That makes a huge difference. Yeah. I used to use Firefox all the time, like before Chrome. And it was like Firebug, which was the shit at the time. Like it was so good. Definitely. But now, yeah, it's been a while since I've really used Firefox as a, default browser. I use Firefox at home as my personal browser, so I use both. And uh, I have one gripe about Firefox and Mozilla, if you're listening to this. Okay, so in Chrome, if I want to print, what, what, do you, what would you do? If you want to print? Yeah. Command P. Command P. Exactly. But in Firefox, Command Shift P, what does that do? Private browser window. Yes. Yes. And, but Nailed no it. other browser does that. Every other browser is, <laughs> it's Command Shift N will open an incognito window. Oh, right. But yes. Firefox is the only one. And every time I go home or whatever, if I'm testing something, it's just like, why? <laughs> no, that's fair. It took me a while to relearn that yeah. that shortcut. But ultimately, I use Firefox at home because they're, they're memory systems. So as we all know and love, Chrome for every single tab 
it uses its own independent process, which is great because if a tab crashes, that means the entire browser doesn't crash, but also means the more tabs you have open, the more memory eats up. And if you don't believe me, open up Chrome right now and you'll see like all the processes running and it's just, it eats up memory like there's no tomorrow. Oh, and I'm huge for having too many tabs open and Chrome slows my machine down so much. It's painful. Yes, but if the benefit is, yeah, if one browser doesn't crash or one tab doesn't crash, the whole thing doesn't crash. But Firefox, the opposite, it all runs in the same process. So it uses way less memory, but if one crashes, the entire browser crashes. So it's a trade-off, but at home, I prefer keeping my RAM where it is. So I use Firefox. Well, and get this, I will say that my one beef with Chrome lately is, which is really, really funny, is Hangouts. Hangouts has problems on Chrome, and that doesn't make sense <laughs> to me at all. So I will be calling into a meeting, and I find, oh wow, my audio doesn't work. It seems to be, and it's in Chrome, and I switch to Firefox, log in there, no problem at all. So I'm not really sure what's happening there, but I find that I will start to do Hangouts. If I need to call into a meeting, I will start doing that on Firefox. Same thing happened to me last week. I had to use Firefox or Hangout. It doesn't make sense. It does not make, make any sense. sense at all. But for some reason, that has been my pain point in the past like month or two that I've, I've just learned. That's hilarious. Yeah. What tools do you not like that you're sometimes forced to use? Brian Holt. <laughs> you can use me all you want, John. <laughs> he does it next to me at work. True story. For me, Jira. Do oh. not like Jira. Trello. Oh. Did someone say Trello? <laughs> Sounds like a fight between Brian and Mars. Go. Yeah, I don't like Jira either. I hate Jira with a passion. It's just, I understand technically it's probably cool. There's probably a lot of engineering that went into it, but... I'm a pretty smart person and I feel so dumb using it sometimes. Like, how do I do this thing? It's not intuitive. It's not intuitive at all. I wish they'd have like an enterprise mode and a simple uh, simple mode where it's just like, these are the basic things you need to use. But I daily get angry at Jira for just making something that should be trivial, very, very complicated. I will say the one time I like Jira is when I get the email that something's fixed and done. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> Close, you can, you can get that in Trello too, just saying. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I just hate doing work about doing work. Like meta work is just the worst work that I just don't want to do. So anything that minimizes my time interacting with it is the best. That's why I use Slack. <laughs> but I, I will say I do really like Slack and I don't want to hate on it. But there's times when I feel overwhelmed with Slack because I have so many channels and I will just be like, holy shit. I am like behind on so many things because I've been in meetings for a couple hours and I look and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so far behind. And it is overwhelming to me. I don't know. I get really stressed out when I have a lot of notifications, unread emails. It bothers me. And so a bunch of Slack channels, I'm like, oh man, <laughs> just ignore it. No, well, I mean, that's it, exactly I, what I do. I think you can. There's certain ones that I go to first, like they're my higher priority ones. But then like other, the front end happy hour one, front end happy hour one's always important, right? <laughs> So I'm with you. I think Slack is a great tool, but I, I think it's overhyped in my opinion. People are like, oh, it's going to replace email and all these things. I'm like, it's a fancy chat client. It has a lot of great features and the great team. Really, I really respect the company for what they do as far as uh, culture and just hiring things like that. But it's just another chat tool. Like I think it could be supplanted by anything else. I'd be fine with it. Like I used HipChat before and I used Slack and to me they're interchangeable there's like differences and things that make one better than the other but 
none of them have killed email. I like that you said that. I've seen a lot of tools out there that their mission is to kill email. It has no one's been successful. It might cut down on a bit, but it's not done. We're, we're still using email. So there, there is a t tool ideas. The only one that I think that could really supplant email and it's the idea, which is kind of funny, is behind Yammer. Has anyone ever used Yammer before? I, I did at an agency I worked at. It was their chat room. Yeah. And now, like, Yammer has kind of been fallen by the wayside. They got bought by Microsoft. That's probably why. Microsoft <laughs> has kind of de-emphasized it. But now Facebook has come out with Facebook for Work. And I forget, I think they have a new name for it, but whatever. Microsoft Rebrand. has Microsoft Teams now as well, right. which is a similar idea. Maybe well, that's what that's, Yammer That's Slack, into. right? That, com that competes with Slack. Yes. So basically, like, I have a project, I go create like a new group, and then we just go have like a threaded discussion, just like a Facebook post, right? It's like a status update where you can like chat with each other about things, which is great. It gets email out of the silo so that if, you know, I join a project, I can go see the entire history of everything that's gone on. If I'm curious about your project, I can go jump in yours and go read what's going on. The, the thing that I hate about email is it's siloed, right? Like I send it to you. And if Ryan joins the project, he just doesn't know what's going on because he, he cannot see that email. That's fair. And my counter argument to that is that, well, actually, it's not a counter argument. It's more my issue with Slack is that it could replace email, but the search is just terrible. It's awful. It is actually, awful. Wait, I actually found the search a lot better than HipChat, though. Well, no, the search is better than HipChat. Low bar. That's a low oh, bar. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. What don't you like about the search? It's not intuitive. It's Searching slow. in Gmail, it's slow it is shit. slow. It is slow. It's not terribly accurate versus if I search my inbox, I can find things very quickly because I know exactly how the syntax works. And it's not an unfamiliar syntax, but Slack is, they have their own idea about searching, which I, I disagree with. Especially, let's say right now I want to find something in, in our room that you said three months ago. The search to do that is not very intuitive. Just because I'm in the room and I do a search doesn't mean it searches in that room. It searches like every room I'm in. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I guess I found Slack search pretty powerful, but it does kind of rely on knowing how to search in Slack. Like you can search in certain channels for has files or has links or, or, or that kind of thing. But you have to know, I guess, those keywords. And you it, have to learn that. Yeah, yeah you're, per, you're yeah. pretty unproductive. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Do you have any hardware things that you would recommend to be productive? And I'll start off that like, I love having one big monitor as opposed to having two. Okay, hashtag privilege. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I have one, how big is that monitor? It's gotta be like 34 inches. I think it is, yeah. I used to have two Apple cinema displays. Instead, I got this one LG 34 inch monitor. It's the same price as one cinema display, but it is. And it's curved. It's, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't bother me at all. But the fact that I can. It's positive. It, well, I mean, whatever. It's, it's a gimmick. <laughs> you work at Netflix. You should know that. <laughs> but I found that's been really, really helpful for my productivity. I can keep everything I want together. I don't have to manage like multiple desktops. I think it's, it's been really, really awesome. For me, even though I'm not like super sold on it, the Apple Watch is very helpful for me going between meetings. They did remove the time machine function. You can turn that back on, actually. Thank you, Mars. Yes. I need that back. <laughs> time travel. Time travel. Yeah. That's it. Oh, okay. Why did they take it off? Now it's off by default as opposed to being on by default. Okay. Well, I need to turn that back on because I love it because I can spin through my meetings and it's super helpful. 
That was an awesome feature. It was. And I, I don't wear mine anymore because it's a piece of shit. But. <laughs> <laughs> the Series 2 is a little bit better. Um, I actually have to say that my phone is probably one of the best things in my life. I am a huge multitasker, probably to a fault, as in I'll walk and almost get hit by cars crossing streets yep. and not paying attention. That's a fault. That's a fault. Yeah. Um, but I, it's kind of tough because I feel like I can be reached anywhere, but also I can be reached anywhere at any time. And good to be aware of things going on, but it's hard to always be expected to respond immediately. But it is very useful for doing things on the go for me, at least in terms of hardware. I'm not as cool and I don't have an Apple watch, nor do I want any sort of Android watch. I don't like watches. I have a phone. But uh different argument. Uh, my only hardware is I have three monitors. So one for my laptop and then two, two iMac displays or Mac displays, whatever. I love having multiple monitors. I can't work with one monitor anymore. Not for front end. For back end stuff, yeah, it's pretty easy. But front end, no, I need multiple monitors. And that's pretty much my only requirement for... Oh, and having a good chair. Thank you, Netflix. <laughs> I do have a custom chair at Netflix that is built especially for tall people. So it's... That's awesome. It's so simple, like we're talking about all this other stuff, but we forget about desk and keyboard and like things that we sit in for hours on end every That's single day. That's super important. It's absolutely you're, you're tall, Jeb? I'm a little tall, just a little bit taller than most people. I actually kind of tagging onto that, the thing I've fallen in love with over the past couple of years is just like a movable desk, a desk that goes up and down. Definitely. Basically, because depending on your setup at work, however you like to have it, either you can have it go up and down as you need it, or like me, you can just keep it up tall and it's much, much easier to switch between standing and sitting. And I'm, I don't know, I, I think that that's really important for social sanity and everything. And one of the things I wish we could get, and I've been dreaming about for a long time, is a treadmill desk. <laughs> I don't oh. think there's enough space for it. Um, but something I dream of one day is being able to have a treadmill desk at home and at work. And All right, so I think that would be great. I will say the treadmill desk is amazing. I had it at Evernote. They had... Uh, I think they had like six or eight of them all lined up at the like this one area. You you have to like walk. You can't run and code. That's that's just not going to work. But the Fitbit challenges were great. I would crush my <laughs> Fitbit steps because of that damn treadmill desk. It was great. All right, as we wrap up today's episode, let's share today's picks. What does everyone have? Brian, you want to start with your picks? Yeah, so my my first pick is going to be Jest which is the testing framework from Facebook. I used it when I was at Reddit Gifts right after they launched it, and it was just a disaster. It was horrible. Like, the auto-mocking stuff got so far, so much in the way. It was just like Jasmine testing, an old version of Jas- Jasmine, but way shittier. So we actually ended up migrating off of it. And, I like, I typically don't advocate for migrating off things. I think you waste a bunch of time when you migrate. Uh, but it was so painful, we did. Uh, I'm now currently refactoring my front-end masters to use Jest instead of Mocha, and I probably am writing maybe a third the amount of text I was writing before just because Jest got it so right this time. So I'm going to be a, a huge proponent and say that Jest is pretty awesome. My second pick is a music pick, as always. Um, I'm a huge fan of the new Naked and Famous album. Really, really great. I think it's called The Runners, is that correct? Simple Forms, the the lead single is called The Runners. But anyway, it's really great, so check it out. Great. Jim, what do you have? Uh, my first pick I read the other night, and I'm still reading because it's a little long, but it's called uh, H264's Magic, and it just explains... So H264 is encoding for... That's been around for many years now, but it's just phenomenal how much... It is almost magic, like how much it compresses data so that we can stream movies, things like that. 
but this uh, the author they describe it in such common terms that even I can understand it. And video encoding is like very very complex things, but the way it's explained is just like very Star Trekky. You know, it's like and then something explodes and you're like, oh, now I get it because I understand. Uh, so it's a great read. My second pick is actually a Twitter account called We Rate Dogs. And so great. <laughs> all they do is rate dogs, and every dog is always an 11 out of 10 or 12 out of 10. Or Cute something. pupper. Yes. Uh, I, I love re-rate dogs, and I love dogs. So it's a great Twitter account if you just want something to feel good about. I need to check that one out. That sounds awesome. One of my favorite follows, for sure. Mars, what do you have for us? I'm going to go with a couple things. The first one is a dev tool that's probably an oldie, but a goodie. And I've only started recently using it. And it's React Chrome dev tools that will plug into your React application. Also works in Firefox. Also works in Firefox. Didn't realize how awesome it was until recently. And you can actually see the the components that it's rendering and the props and that that it's getting and everything. And a lot of times to get that information, you need to, you know, add a like a breakpoint and see what's going on with all the variables at that particular point. It's just, that's just very, very heavy to me. For music, I've been recently obsessed with this song called uh, Jolene, which is originally by Dolly Parton. But she's been doing a lot of collaborations with different artists over the years for this one song. It's pretty short. Um, And she recently did a collaboration with the Pentatonix, which is a five-person acapella group. And they're amazing. You should check them out. And then to listen to my music, I just got these Bose QuietComfort 20. They're noise-canceling earbuds. Not over-ear, but earbuds. And if you wear glasses like me, the over-ears will actually hurt your ears. Definitely. Yeah. And these are these are really great, which I found through my mother and on a site called The Wire Cutter that gives you lots of ratings and reviews so i'm excited to try these out on our shuttle rides and not have to hear anything all right my first pick is an open source project created by one of our friends harry wolf hell yeah Uh, harry yeah he uh created a static site generator called reptar formerly known as yarn and unfortunately dun 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 yeah facebook (laughs) kind of created something called yarn which you know it's a great name so you know but now he's renamed it reptar and yeah it's very great and very flexible for running static sites if you're looking for a way to build static sites i highly recommend checking it out my second pick is a new hulu original get out yeah i know i know i know <laughs> so the show is called chance it stars hugh laurie as he yeah he plays a neuropsychologist oh i've heard of this yeah and he's trying to help a patient that has like split personality it's super interesting. So far, it's been good. The only beef I have with Hulu and their originals is they only one episode per week. I need to binge watch. Come on, Hulu. Uh, so there's, I think, I believe they're on their like fourth episode. So far, it's been really good. My favorite part of the entire show, it's filmed in San Francisco, which is awesome. Oh, that's so nice. I was very, about to say, very cool. Very local. Uh, yeah, I really like that part of it. And so I highly recommend checking it out. So far, four episodes, it's been good. All right, before we end the episode, where can people get in touch with you, Brian? Uh, on on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Just search Brian Holt. At HoltBT. I am on Twitter, and my name, Jim Young. I am also on Twitter. Um, I don't tweet as much as all of these guys here, but it's Mars Josephine, and I do respond, even if I don't tweet every day. All right, and I'm going to start tweeting her until she responds yeah, every single time. <laughs> and I'm Burgess D. Ryan on Twitter. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to rate us on iTunes and Google Play and subscribe to the Front End Happy Hour podcast on whatever podcast catcher you choose. 
follow us on Twitter on FrontendHH and tell us about your favorite tools and dev environments. We'd love to hear from you. Productive. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers.